Welcome to Liberty Monks Podcast. James Mundy here with Mike Mundy. How are you today, Brother Mike? Awesome, sir. How are you? Doing good, man. We're being joined this evening by Dr. Peter Pry. And Dr. Pry is Executive Director of the Task Force on National and Homeland Security and Director of the U.S. Nuclear Strategy Forum. Dr. Pry also served on the Congressional EMP Commission and worked for the House Armed Services Committee and the CIA. He is the author of Apocalypse Unknown, The Struggle to Protect America from an Electromagnetic Pulse Catastrophe and Electric Armageddon. His work has appeared in the Wall Street Journal, Newsmax, um, The Hill, National Review, and uh, Real Clear Defense. His most recent work is um, his book, which is called The Power and the Light, The Congressional EMP Commission's War to Save America, 2001 to 2020, and that was published earlier this year. And Dr. Pry, I know there's a, probably a million other things I'm missing uh, in your established and great career, but uh, we just want to welcome you to Liberty Monks tonight. Well, thank you so much for having me. Well, it's great to have you on. And Mike and I had the pleasure of hearing you speak a few weeks ago, and we learned a great deal about a number of things from you, but mainly the threat of an EMP event here in the States, and as well, uh, really the threat to the entire planet. And we were hoping to get into that topic, and then really any other topics that you think are pertinent. There's, <laughs> there's no shortage of information that we can go through based on what's going on in America right now. Yes, that is true. So first and foremost, Dr. Pry, for, for, our, for our listeners, uh, EMP stands for electromagnetic pulse, but what, what exactly is an EMP? To shed some light on that for us. Sure. Mind. Well, in phys physics 101, an electromagnetic pulse, it's based on the idea that a moving magnetic field will cause electrons to move in a wire. And you know this, if you've got one of those old fashioned old lawnmowers that's got a a lanyard on it, you pull the lanyard and it spins a cluster of magnets called a magneto. And that causes a moving magnetic field. And the magneto is surrounded by a coil of copper wires and it causes the electrons to move in the wire. And that basically generates an electromagnetic pulse, a small EMP that you can see is a spark in the spark plug. You're generating an electric current by, by that moving magnetic field. Now the earth is a giant magnet. It's got a north and a south pole, and it's surrounded by a magnetic field we call the magnetosphere. And we'll talk about the natural EMP phenomena first, because the sun can generate a natural EMP. And it does this by shooting out a coronal mass ejection, a huge blob, a big hunk of the sun, in millions of degrees Fahrenheit, you know, that's traveling a million miles an hour or more. And every now and again, one of these big blobs of coronal mass, coronal mass ejections will hit the earth, but it doesn't kill us because God and his wisdom has surrounded us with this magnetosphere. Uh, but as it slams into the magnetospheres, traveling a million miles an hour, it causes the magnetosphere to wobble around and move around. In fact, the coronal mass ejection is larger than the earth, many times larger than the earth. And so it'll slide past us on the north and south poles and, and deform that magnetosphere. If it reached the surface of the Earth, were it not for the magnetosphere, we'd be a dead planet because every coronal mass ejection that hit us would, would burn all life on Earth, but it doesn't. However, that moving magnetosphere does generate an electromagnetic pulse. Uh, it'll make electrons move in wires on the surface of the Earth. Uh, the pulse itself, another way of thinking about it, is like a radio wave. An electromagnetic pulse travels at the speed of light. It's really a super energetic radio wave. And it's got so much energy in it that it will destroy electronics 
to anything that it can connect to. Now the, the wavelength for a natural EMP from the sun is really big and something has to be like a kilometer or more in, in some dimension in order for it to couple into it. Well, what can get coupled into? Well, the electric grids, you know, there's, you know, which run for hundreds and thousands of kilometers. Uh, you know, we've got these wires suspended in air on power lines and the EMP from the sun couples great into that. It couples into railroad tracks, it couples into oil pipelines, you know, these large, big things, and it will destroy them. You know, it generates so much energy. For example, there was a, a, a storm uh, called the Hydro-Quebec storm in 1989, a solar storm uh, that, uh, that hit Canada and it blacked out Canada for in 90 seconds. And it caused an extra high voltage transformer at a nuclear power plant in New Jersey, it was a Salem nuclear power plant, to melt in 90 seconds. This, this extra high voltage transformer is designed to normally carry 750,000 volts. That's what it normally carries, and yet it melted in 90 seconds. So you can just imagine wow. the titanic energies required to accomplish that. And this was just a, a run-of-the-mill solar super solar storm. It wasn't the storm we're worried about, you know, which is the a a recurrence of the Carrington event, the 1859 Carrington event, solar superstorm, you know, which is basically oh, at least 10 times more powerful than the 1989 Hydro-Quebec storm. When the Carrington event hit in 1859, you know, we were not yet an electronic civilization, uh, but telegraph systems, the cutting edge electronic technology of the day, telegraph systems existed on every continent except Antarctica. Uh, everywhere the colonial powers built a railroad, they strong telegraph lines and all over the world, the Carrington event destro destroyed the telegraph systems, caused uh, telegraph keys to melt on their pads, caused telegraph wires to burst into flame, causing forest fires. The pulse reached miles deep down into the Atlantic Ocean and burned the transatlantic cable connecting North America to Europe, which had just been laid in 1859. Now that didn't end civilization because we weren't an electronic civilization. Those were the horse and buggy days. And we didn't depend on electricity for almost everything. But if something like that happened today, it would destroy electric grids all over the world. Uh, ever, almost everything, all the life-sustaining critical infrastructures, communications, transportation, water, food, almost everything depends directly or indirectly on electricity. And all of that would collapse. And, uh, and it would put billions of lives at risk. And we're very concerned, the EMP Commission, that was one of the chief threats we were concerned about is recurrence of Carrington event, because it, it is inevitable. It's going to happen for sure someday. It almost happened in the year 2012. Strangely, the, according to the, the man's sun disk, the sun calendar, it predicted that the world was gonna end in 2012. And it almost did. You know, we got missed by a coronal mass ejection by about three days, a Carrington class coronal mass ejection. And if that had hit us, that would have been the end. Uh, but it, mi it missed us, thank goodness. And NASA, after that, estimates that the likelihood is about 12% per decade that we are going to get hit with a Carrington clat. It'll happen for sure, 100% for sure, but about 12% per decade. That means that within our lifetimes, or no later than that of our grandchildren, we will have a recurrence of the Carrington event. And so the commission was warning and urging our government that we need to get ready. We need to protect our electric grids. 
so that they will not fail. Uh, the other part of the EMP threat, there are three components to it. Uh, the natural EMP threat from the sun. Then there's the nuclear EMP threat. We described the magnetosphere already in the role it plays. Well, if you detonate a nuclear weapon at a high enough altitude in the magnetosphere, it'll cause the magnetosphere to wobble around again. And it will cause an electromagnetic pulse, uh, not a worldwide one, but one big enough to cover a whole continent. For example, a nuclear weapon detonated at 300 kilometers altitude over the center of the United States will cause an electromagnetic pulse that will cover all of North America and knock out electric grids. But this one is actually the EMP from a nuclear weapon is even worse than that from the sun because the fields are more intense and the wavelengths can be smaller. There's a component of it that isn't generated by the sun that we call E1 EMP. Uh, it's like a, if you think of a tidal wave and cross section, you know what a nuclear weapon does, you know, a tidal wave has got this flat front really high. All, a lot of energy is concentrated in the front of it. Same thing with an EMP. And then there, it, as it fades off, we call that the E2 EMP. That's sort of a middle frequency. It's equivalent to a bolt of lightning. We don't worry mo most about that because most everything is protected against lightning. But the front wave of that nuclear EMP is far more powerful than lightning. And it's faster, literally a million times faster than lightning. So lightning protection doesn't work against it. And then there's the tail end of it, which is the same kind of EMP you get from the sun, this long, low frequency thing, sort of the equivalent of a storm, storm surge that you get from a tidal wave. And that can be done with any kind of a nuclear weapon detonated at high altitude. Uh, we're particularly concerned about a new kind of nuclear weapon that's been invented by the Russians. The Chinese have got it. The North Koreans got it from the Russians. It's called a super EMP weapon. It's a weapon specialized to make electromagnetic pulse. Very low explosive yield. It can be only in one to three kilotons, you know, which is really kind of tiny, you know, one-tenth the power of the Hiroshima bomb in terms of its explosive yield. But it per puts out enormous amounts of gamma rays, you know, so that it will generate an electromagnetic pulse you know, while far more powerful than that of the most powerful nuclear weapons that are designed for blast and shock. And these things are small. They could be fit, fit into those North Korean satellites, for example, that orbit over us regularly. And a, a super EMP weapon can generate 100,000 volts per meter or more. And that exceeds the military standard for hardening our best military forces. So it makes vulnerable our nuclear retaliatory capabilities. Our ICBMs, our bombers, our cruise missiles, the command and control systems used to launch them can all be fried by super EMP weapons. And so it's a revolutionary development. It's a way of, uh, that gives the enemy a the possibility of winning a war, winning a nuclear war with a single blow just from a, a one super EMP weapon. The other thing it does is that it immediately fries it at the speed of light, our ballistic missile early warning radars and satellites, uh, you know, we, so we wouldn't even know who attacked us necessarily. You know, we, uh, deterrence depends upon not only in having your retaliatory forces survive, but knowing against whom you must retaliate, who attacked you. And all of that is taken away by EMP. It overturns the rules of the game 
that we uh, had lived by all through the Cold War, you know, where we relied on mutual assured destruction and the ability to assuredly retaliate and know who was attacking us. All of that is gone with super EMP weapons. And it's made even worse by these new technologies that the Chinese are, have introduced the fractional orbital bombardment system, uh, you know, which basically uh, enables you to, it's a space weapon. It can put a warhead into orbit and you attack us from any direction, but that combined with a hypersonic glide vehicle now, so that you can put many hypersonic glide vehicles armed with a super EMP warhead, say a dozen of them. Then you could launch the fractional orbital bombardment system over the South Pole. You know, we don't have any ballistic missile early warning radars facing south, and we don't have any interceptors facing south. We're blind and defenseless from the south. So the whole idea of this is to get a surprise EMP attack. And if the hypersonic glide vehicles now part, they, uh, you know, they, they, uh, this is what the Chinese did with their test. It'll go back down into the atmosphere so that you can not re-enter the atmosphere completely, but go to an altitude of 30 to 60 kilometers, which is still above most of the atmosphere. Then you can put a peak field over all of the ICBM bases, the bomber wings, all the command and control centers, Washington, D.C., over the ballistic missile submarine ports, and, and make an optimum EMP attack, where you're not just putting an EMP over the whole country, but you're putting an EMP, the peak field, over the targets that matter most, our nuclear deterrent forces. And uh, uh, people should understand that just because it's a nuclear EMP attack, this is not a Hiroshima or a Nagasaki type nuclear attack. The bomb is going off at such high altitude uh, that if you were on the ground directly beneath the explosion, you wouldn't even hear it go off. No blast reaches the ground, no radioactive fallout. The only thing that reaches the ground is the electromagnetic pulse, which is why the Russians and Chinese categorize it as not a nuclear attack. They consider this part of cyber warfare because they're attacking electronic systems. The pulse is even harmless to people. It passes harmlessly through your bodies. But with a single nuclear weapon that takes down the electric grid and other critical infrastructures, that one weapon would be far more deadly than a weapon detonated in a city or 100 weapons detonated in 100 cities. Because, because within, within a year, with the electric grid down and a nationwide blackout, we could lose up to 90% of our population through starvation, disease, and societal collapse. Would it even take a year? End our civilization. No, it wouldn't yeah. take a year. Yeah. You know, there'd be no water immediately, uh, you know, because we need, you know, hundreds of millions of volts to purify and pump water to the cities. We only have enough food to feed 330 million people for 30 days at normal consumption rates. And uh, that food would begin to spoil as soon as the electric grid fails and the air conditioning systems and the freezers uh, fail. So it probably wouldn't even take a year to, to lose so many people. But this is one of the things that the bad guys are also banking on. You know, uh, they wanna put us in a position where if China wants to take Taiwan or Russia decides it's going to invade Ukraine and take the NATO frontline states, and they do an EMP attack, which paralyze our nuclear, not only in our nuclear forces, but our conventional forces who would also be paralyzed. You know, uh, all of the military bases we have to project power overseas 
get 99% of their electricity from the civilian grid. So our military establishment would be largely paralyzed. What, what little that is left in our society that works would be probably among the military, because that's the part that we have hardened best, although it's currently not adequately hardened. So a president would be put in a dilemma and he would have to say, well, do I go and try to fight World War III with both boots off, you know, because my electric grid is paralyzed, so many of my military forces are paralyzed and I'm almost certainly gonna lose. So do I, do, do I engage in losing World War III over Taiwan or over the Baltic states? Or do I do my constitutional duty and try to rescue the American people by bringing back the electric grid before millions of people starve to death? Because that clock is ticking toward mega deaths in the United States. Any sensible president, and I'm not claiming the one we have currently is sensible, I live in fear that the, that the Chinese might start, uh, uh, might attack Taiwan now. And the, this administration is so irrational, they might go try and get in a World War III with China that they can't win. But uh, um, a rational president should try be trying to save the American people. And the bad guys are, are counting on that, that an American president would, would, uh, would not honor our, 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 our security guarantees to our allies because we wouldn't be able to do it and would lose. And he would have the incentive of trying to save American civilization. Uh, after all, what's more important the populations of, uh, of New York and California and Texas and Florida and of the whole 48 United States or, uh, or the sovereignty of Taiwan and the sovereignty of the Baltic states of countries that Amer most Americans can't even find on a map. Someone once said, never promised to go to nuclear war for a country you can't find on a map. Right. Well, Dr. Pry, you unloaded a whole suitcase of information there. Um, one of the things, so you mentioned- oh, I to mention one last thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, so those are the first two dimensions of the EMP threat, the sun yeah. yep. and nuclear weapons, but then there are non-nuclear weapons. We usually, I usually spend so much time, and most people spend so much time talking about the sun and the nuclear threat, that the non-nuclear EMP threat gets neglected. And yet it, it might be one of the most serious parts of it because uh, non-nuclear EMP technologies uh, are available to almost anybody. Um, there are devices, for example, one of them is advertised in an American electronics magazine called the EMP suitcase. And it looks just like a suitcase. It can be operated by a single individual. It'll generate 100,000 volts per meter out to a couple of hundred yards, you know, which is not, not a big deal compared to a nuclear weapon, but 100,000 volts per meter is a lot of energy. Don't forget our whole civilization, almost everything in our civilization operates on 120 volts or less. So, uh, you know, it doesn't take a genius to see that 100,000 volts per meter is really bad news. And, uh, uh, you know, so we, uh, if somebody bought one of those things, anyone can buy it. You don't need a light. It's basically a weapon. It can be used as a weapon of mass destruction. It has legitimate, peaceful purposes. The manufacturers of the EMP suitcase do not intend for it to be used as a weapon of mass destruction, but it can be used as a weapon of mass destruction. And you don't even need a license to buy it. You know, you could put that in the trunk of your car, drive over to an extra high voltage transformer substation. You know, we've basically arrived at a place where a single individual, a terrorist, a madman, 
could topple the technological pillars of civilization for a major metropolitan area all by himself. And uh, if you had a team of terrorists running around the country, in my new book, Blackout Warfare, I've calculated that, you know, just using non-nuclear EMP weapons, not nuclear, the non-nuclear ones, that it would take them about 24 hours to put all of North America into a protracted blackout. So there we are. Those are the three dimensions of the EMP threat, the sun, natural, nuclear weapons, and the non-nuclear weapons. Well, um, you mentioned that the United States is really, really exposed to this. What, what, what is the reason why we are so exposed to this type of a threat? Oh, well, I guess I'm partly at fault, uh, you know, because I belong to the intelligence community for so long. And uh, it, there was a, uh, a judgment made by the national security community uh, when we first discovered the EMP phenomena uh, to basically keep most of it classified, you know, beginning in 1963. So from, uh, so from six, 1963 until the EMP commission delivered its, its reports in 2004 and 2008, most of what we're talking about was deeply classified. And we never told the private sector, the electric power industry, you know, uh, the Department of Defense didn't want to know, want the Russians to know that our strategic forces were so potentially vulnerable to this weapon, uh, you know, and uh, but the Russians did know, and that's why they developed super EMP weapons and, and all the rest. Anyway, we tried to undo that by declassifying all this stuff in 2004 and 2008, and it wasn't easy. It took the EMP commission about three years to get permission from the Department of Defense to tell you the things I'm telling you now. And uh, uh, so that was one reason, because this, the threat was classified for many decades until it finally came out. And Washington is slow to learn. You know, 2008 wasn't that long ago, no. uh, you know, and in terms of introducing a new existential threat that nobody ever heard about before, uh, you know, uh, it takes Washington a long time to learn new things. Uh, so that's one reason. Another reason is, um, uh, unlike Russia and China, uh, our utilities, the electric grid or transportation systems, the communication systems, they're all owned by the private sector. You know, uh, this is not the case in China and Russia, you know, uh, and these totalitarian military dictatorships Whenever they're building an, an, uh, a critical infrastructure, the first thing they always think about is national security. Uh, their grids, their communication systems are, have been protected, you know, since the Cold War, because they anticipated, they thought there would be a nuclear war, and they wanted, and they believed you could fight and win a nuclear war, and so they hardened their critical infrastructures against these uh, against these threats. You know, that's not the way it is here in this country. You know, our our, our private sector never didn't know about EMP, uh, they're slow to learn, uh, they are not responsible for our national security, and they're constantly telling the Congress and the White House that they're not responsible, that's not their job to protect the country. But in fact, you know, you, you asked me that question, it's the same question that President Trump asked me. Before he was elected president, I, I had the privilege of briefing him before he became president on the EMP threat during the Iowa caucuses. I briefed him for 45 minutes. He'd never heard of it, but he understood right away the implications of the EMP threat, that this was an existential threat. And he asked me, why is it that the federal government hasn't protected us against it? Well, 
Another reason is, uh, in addition to the classification issue, is that no part of the federal bureaucracy wanted responsibility for this existential threat. You know, uh, the Department of Defense would say, well, the EMP can happen by the sun. So this is a natural disaster. So it's the responsibility of the Department of Homeland Security to deal with this threat. And the Department of Homeland Security would say, well, nuclear EMP and non-nuclear EMP weapons, that's something that can be done by terrorists or nation states. So it's a Department of Defense responsibility. And the Department of Energy, you know, would say, well, uh, you know, it's not, it's not our responsibility either. You know, our job is to deliver the cheapest energy to the American people most effectively. We're not in the business of national security. And the utilities and the Department of Energy, let's face it, I mean, it's so corrupt, it basically belongs to the utilities, you know, it's, uh, have argued that all along, that it's not their job to protect the electric grid. That's the job of the federal government to, to do whatever's necessary to deter an attack on the electric grid. And uh, uh, when I told that to President Trump, he said, uh, and these were his exact words, don't worry, Dr. Pry, when I'm elected president, we're gonna knock their heads together and get this problem solved. And then he walked away. And he was as good as his word. In 2019, uh, uh, the EMP commission and I, uh, you know, we, we helped write a, uh, an executive order for President Trump, an excellent executive order, designed to get the country protected against the EMP. And uh, Congress did its job, and I think it's the first time, an only time in history, that an executive order uh, on a bipartisan basis, you know, uh, that both parties agreed to it and said, you know, we agree with this executive order, and we're so much in favor of it, that we're going to make it the law. It's not just an executive order from a, a president, it's now going to be the law. And they incorporated it and gave it the force of law and the most important bill that Congress passes the National Defense Authorization Act, which funds the Department of Defense. In the FY 2020 National Defense Authorization Act, they incorporated the EMP executive order and gave it the force of law. And then Congress also passed a separate bill called the Critical Infrastructure Protection Act, which got folded into another one of the defense bills, You know, which said the Department of Homeland Security has got to work with the electric utilities to protect the country. And uh, you know, in the, when America was still a constitutional republic, the America I grew up in, if any one of those things had happened, this problem would already be solved. If a president had passed an executive order, the federal bureaucracy would have obeyed that order and implemented it. If Congress had passed a law directing the federal bureaucracy to protect the electric grids and other critical infrastructures, they would have obeyed and it would have been done. But, you know, we're, we're not living in the same country that I grew up in anymore. We now know, you know, because of the experience with the Trump administration, that there's this thing called the deep state. You know, this per permanent, unelected federal bureaucracy, people who cannot be fired, people who are not experts, they tend to be lawyers, they do what they want to do, you know. Uh, they think they know better than the White House and the Congress and the EMP Commission, even though they don't, you know, and they tend to pay, they tend to uh, do what they're told by the uh, uh, by uh, by uh, industries that they're supposed to be regulating. Uh, in the case of the Department of Energy, for example, you know, uh, uh, the reason they haven't done anything is because these people know that if they play ball with the utilities and don't force them to do things they don't want to do they can retire into a very high paying job. 
uh, in the electric power industry, and they do that. Yeah. You know, there's this big rotating door, and uh, you know, and it's not like it's even involving. I named, you know, I, in my book, The Power and the Light, I named their names. You know, there's less than a dozen people in the federal bureaucracy that basically undermined President Trump's executive order, that defied Congress, and I. I'll name one of them right here. It was Chris Krebs. You know, uh, uh, he was one of the worst of them. You know, this guy, uh, you know, Trump inherited him, him from the Obama administration. You know, that's, while I'm a big fan of President Trump, I mean, he one of the things he failed to deliver on, you know, was uh, draining the swamp. I mean, I think yeah. a lot of Americans voted for Trump because he could say you're fired. But he didn't do that. You know, he kept on all these Obama administration people when he was supposed to accept their resignations. I think there's about three or four thousand members of the of the bureaucracy, the, the bureaucracy that are appointees uh, that routinely turn in their resignations. And every new president is supposed to accept their resignations. He didn't do that. You know, he thought he could unify the country behind him by extending an olive branch and uh keeping on the Obama holdovers and bringing on establishment Republicans that hated him to, to staff his government. And Chris Krebs was an anti-Trumper to the core. He was uh, still working for the, President Trump was trying to run his government in effect with an Obama administration still in place. And that's what went wrong. You know, uh, that certainly went wrong with EMP uh, because Chris Krebs did everything he could to undermine and slow roll and sabotage President Trump's EMP executive order. I've got a whole chapter about, about it in my, my book, The Power and the Light. And, and Trump would not fire this guy. Uh, and uh, you know, he was, in fact, he'd promoted him to be the director of the Cyber and Infrastructure Security Agency. This was the agency, you know, most responsible for protecting our electric grids and other critical infrastructures from cyber warfare and EMP. And Chris Krebs was in charge of it. And uh and, uh, and he was uh, dragging his feet and doing everything he could, uh, you know, uh, because, and why was that? Because not only was he a lawyer, but he had been a lobbyist for Microsoft. And, uh, and he's back being a lobbyist again. And the job of lobbyists who work for private sector utilities and high-tech industries is to, is to keep the federal government off their back, you know? Uh, to make sure that they don't have to spend money that they don't want to spend on protecting the nation, for example. And that's what Krebs, Chris Krebs saw his job as. He was looking at that rotating door. He knew that he was going to be stepping out someday, and, and he wanted to go back to his big, fat, multi-million dollar job in the private sector. And uh, you know, President Trump only fired him uh, after the 2020 elections were over, because Krebs was also responsible for uh, the integrity of the elections, making sure that they weren't compromised. And when Krebs went public and said that the 2020 elections were the fairest, most transparent elections in American history, then he got fired. But by then it was, of course, far too late. You know, I think Krebs actually was among the coup plotters that, uh, that probably sabotaged the 2020 elections because he was in the perfect position to do it as the director of CISA. So those are, those are, uh, those are some of the reasons why we, you know, why we, uh, you know, because we've got lawyers in charge of everything, because we're the federal government, the federal bureaucracy is deeply corrupt. Uh, 
because Congress and the White House, the executive branches and the legislative branches don't have the power that they're supposed to have under the Constitution anymore, that we've sort of arrived at a, not sort of, we have arrived at, I believe, is a constitutional crisis in this country, one that the founders envisioned that they were really, really were concerned about, you know, that so much power would be concentrated in Washington and particularly in the hands of a federal bureaucracy. That someday it could be a new aristocracy, you know, that would that would be more important than the president or the Congress. And it is. Uh, and so uh, another factor I can't help but think is uh, that is a factor. Uh, Although my old boss, Dr. William Graham, who's really the free world's foremost expert on EMP, I mean, he was at the Starfish Prime High Altitude Nuclear Test where we first discovered the EMP phenomena when I was in elementary school. But Dr. Graham, who was, who was the chairman of the EMP commission, he would say to me, Peter, whenever I would start talking conspiracy theories to him, he would say, Peter, never attribute in Washington, never attribute to a conspiracy that which can be explained by stupidity. Hmm. And he's right. All, all the stupid, the, the, all, all the stupid actors that I've just described and this gross stupidity is, is, a, is sufficient to explain, you know, why the country is not protected. But I have to add this because I think that the Dr. Graham is probably wrong on this one, on this point, you know, our country is so open, especially, the organizations that regulate our electric grid, like the North American Electric Reliability Corporation, the Federal Energy Regulatory Committee, and the utilities themselves. You know, hostile foreign actors can easily penetrate these, these systems with agents that want to do us harm, that want to set that want to that want to that don't want us to protect ourselves against EMP because the bad guys see this as their ace in a hole. It's their, way of winning World War III decisively. And uh, they, they have every interest in undermining our efforts to try to protect our electric grid. And they have been very successful at doing things like penetrating the CIA, penetrating the Defense Intelligence Agency. These parts of our government are our best protected parts of the government. You have to go through rigorous FBI background investigations. You get polygraphed once a year, you know? And despite our best efforts, for example, Cuba was able to get an agent in charge of the Cuba desk at DIA. Our top Cuba expert was part of Cuban intelligence for more than a decade. And they're able to do things like that. Imagine what they have done when it comes to NERC and FERC. They don't require an FBI background investigation. You know, you don't get polygraphed. You know, anybody can go, go in uh, and, and get a job working for those guys. And uh, uh, it's unimaginable to me that the Russian SVR and the Chinese intelligence services haven't deeply penetrated, you know, the, uh, the bureaucratic system uh, that is responsible for overseeing our electric grid. So I think that it's not just stupidity and competence. I think there are hostile foreign actors at work. I didn't even include a whole organization. Uh, you know, there's a, an organization, for example, a lobby for the electric power industry called EPRI, the Electric Power Research Institute. They keep cranking out junk science studies. They're not legitimate scientific studies. These people don't know anything about EMP, but they keep putting out these junk science studies that lowball the EMP threat and say, oh, it's not as bad as the EMP commission thinks, you know, or 
don't worry, we in the electric power industry are smart enough to take care of this problem. We don't need outside experts coming in to tell us what to do. We're on top of it. And uh, EPRI, you know, the Department of Energy listens to EPRI. I mean, they take advice from EPRI, but EPRI is not even an American institution. They get money from Russia and China. There was an officer from EPRI who was actually had a metal pen down his chest. We don't know for what, but he went to China and the Chinese Communist Party put a medal on his chest, you know, and the Department of Energy is listening to these guys, you know, so we not only am I concerned about hostile foreign actors as individuals penetrating our bureaucracy, but we have whole institutions like EPRI that might be acting on behalf of hostile foreign governments that have a lot of influence on our, on our, on our, on our, uh, on, on the decisions of our government. You know, the, the electric power industry and groups like EPRI have hundreds of millions of dollars that they spread around generously to try to advance their view of what our policy should be. And their view of what our policy should be is that the United States shouldn't do anything about EMP or cyber warfare. Uh, or we should trust them. We should trust them to do everything. But we can't trust them. I mean, look at what they did in Texas during the ice storm or what they failed to do. They aren't even competent to protect Texas against an ice storm. They aren't competent to protect California against the Santa Ana winds that can blow down power lines and cause forest fires that kill hundreds of people. You know, they can't even do the little stuff right, you know, let alone cyber warfare and EMP. The electric power industries have proven that they are, you know, incompetent to do these things and they don't have... Uh, uh, and it's not their job. Ultimately, it isn't their job. I mean, and uh, and the uh, and uh, ultimately, the feds, the federal government, deserves the most blame for where we are because it's their job in the Constitution to provide for the common defense. You know, uh, uh, we are still following a doomed to fail grand strategy that had called the public-private partnership, where the government will partner with the private sector utilities to protect the country. And the utilities are the senior partner in the relationship. That is never going to work. It hasn't worked in 20 years. You know, what has to be done is the government has to get off, do its job. It has to be the senior partner and it has to pass regulations and say, you know, we're not waiting for you guys. We're, we're going to use the defense contractors who know what they're doing, who hardened systems in the military, and we're sending them in to harden the electric grid and other critical infrastructures too. And they're gonna be back every year to inspect the work and make sure that, uh, you know, that everything is maintained at a high level. You can continue to make your profits and, and run the business, but you're out of the business of, of providing America with EMP and cybersecurity because you can't even protect against ice storms and high winds. Um, Dr. Pry, you mentioned a little bit ago that we are no longer a constitutional republic. Um, what have we become? I think we are uh, a soft tyranny en route to a hard totalitarianism. You were going through the normal trend, the, the usual transition that has happened in history when a constitutional republic fails and turns into a tyranny. Uh, and it uh, always begins with the best of intentions. I mean, people have for forget, for example, that Nazi Germany, uh, it happened that way. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, before World War II broke out, Adolf Hitler was really popular, and the Nazi Party was uh, ha had had branches in Britain and France and the Netherlands. 
even in the United States, there were uh, uh, there was uh, there were there were fans of the Nazis because the fascists and the Nazis could make the trains run on time. They seemed to have worked an economic miracle where they had pulled their country out of the Great Depression. You know, while the Western democracies were still mired in depression, they had. Uh, captured a sense of patriotism and restored patriotism and national pride to their people. And uh, people admired that. And uh, it looked like they were really benign. Uh, the Nazis used to fund, uh, they were really for labor unions. Uh, they would organize vacations, you know, for whole labor unions where people could go out and uh, enjoy themselves. I mean, they invented the Volkswagen, right? They built the, the, the Autobahn. Uh, they did a lot of things that looked at, like they were really benign and positive. And, uh, uh, you know, and it always starts that way, uh, you know, that they at least promise they're going to do great things for you, like save you from climate change and, uh, and from uh, gender uh, discrimination and, uh, and, and white supremacy. They always start off with the best of motives, high sounding motives. And sometimes they're even able to, to de deliver a little bit on those things, uh, you know, uh, but when you, as Franklin said, when you sacrifice liberty for security, you end up getting neither and deserve neither. And, uh, and that's what happened with the, uh, uh, with the experiment with, in totalitarianism from the 20s and 30s, and that's where we're heading today. In fact, it's, all, uh, it's really worth, your audience should go back. Anybody who hasn't read uh, Churchill's The Gathering Storm should go back and read Churchill's Gath The Gathering Storm. My God, it sounds like it could have been written for today. You know, the rise of totalitarian powers, the challenge, uh, the legitimacy of Western democratic systems, arguing that these systems are outmoded and they're not effective anymore. You know, that we need a new high-tech kind of a uh, tyranny, uh, you know, that's going to make life better for everybody. Uh, that this is the wave of the future. That's exactly what China and Russia are telling us now, you know, uh, that, that our systems, the system of liberty, you know, is destined for the ash heap of history. They're going to pass us by and they're proofing it by their superior way of managing COVID, by their superior military power, uh, you know, by the, the larger population and their greater economic growth, and that every way... Uh, Every day they're showing us that they're a superior system. And, uh, uh, and, uh, and we have, unfortunately, a lot of people among our own elites apparently listening to that and, and uh, not believing in our system, uh, except our elites don't have the competency of the totalitarian elites that we're competing against. You know, they're not evil geniuses. They're they they're like they're like the corrupt aristocracy, the uh, the corrupt senators who went along with Nero while he fiddled and Rome burned. You know, uh, they're like the corrupt French aristocracy, like the Marquis de Sade, you know, who would come up with a whole philosophy of life based on sadomasochism. You know, uh, people who are so divorced from reality that they've forgotten that not only in how to govern, but the basics, you know, that the people are the source of wealth and prosperity. They just kind of take it for granted that this country somehow the wealth and money just comes, 
and uh, and and uh, and because of their entitlement, you know, their privilege, if we want to use that word, you know, that they're the ones that are entitled and privileged to decide what to do with our wealth and tell us how to make a better society. Because those of us who are actually the producers are uh, too uh, benighted to understand and foresee a better future for America. Uh, you know, but that's a long-winded answer to your, to give a short answer to your question. I don't think we've been a constitutional republic. Uh, I think you can almost date it, you know, at least since the first attempted impeachment against President Trump, because the Democrats knew full well that that was a fake impeachment. They knew that they had attempted a coup d'etat and that the Russian thing was all a hoax, that they knew that. In order to have a true constitutional republic, both political parties have got to obey the rule of law and have got to believe in the constitution and have got to believe in the law. When, when you have one of the parties uh, that doesn't believe that and only believes in gathering power unto itself, you're no longer a constitutional republic. You know, uh, we've been en route, I think, since the first year of the Trump administration, you know, toward becoming a tyranny. And now with the theft, because I don't believe the 2020 elections were at all legitimate, that's, uh, you know, ultimately breaking the rules. You know, with the theft of the 2020 elections, you know, we're, we're, we've transitioned into being a banana republic type tyranny. Uh, now they, uh, they're trying to figure out how they how they can become a hard tyranny, okay? And uh, uh, they're in the process of trying to take over the military, for example. Uh, they've done it at the top. You know, we've got a bunch of political generals who have no, no moral courage to stand up to them. That's another failure of President Trump, I have to say. You know, uh, I mean, again, President Trump took Obama's uh, Pentagon and kept it pretty much intact, you know? No wonder he couldn't get out of Afghanistan when he wanted to. I don't know why the man didn't get the list of generals who were fired or resigned by Obama. Those were the good guys. We used to have hundreds of good generals in the Pentagon, and they were either fired by Obama or they resigned. All of these people should have been brought back, you know, uh, but they weren't. And, uh, and now these generals won't even stand up for their troops, and they're forcing the troops to be vaccinated, you know. I believe this is a political test. You know, if you are, uh, uh, it's a, a, a test to prove that you will do what you're told to do. Uh, they don't want the traditional American soldier in the ranks anymore. An American soldier who thinks for himself, an American soldier who has a moral conscience. They want an American soldier who will do whatever he's told to do, including taking an unproven drug into his body and putting himself at risk. That's that's why, why I think they're doing that. I think it's not because they're really afraid of COVID. It's a political test yeah. so that they can get out the traditional American soldier from the ranks. And what we'll have left is the kind of person who's willing to fire on Trump supporters and, and shoot maybe his own relatives and parents and uh, the kind of soldier that's capable of doing a Holocaust. That's what they want in, in the ranks of the military. And uh, they know they're not there yet. I think they will ultimately fail, though, uh, for all this doom and gloom I'm speaking. Um, I think that they are, uh, they are, I, I, I look, you know, uh, um, most of the American people may have become sheep. That may be true. Uh, you know, 
their submission to the COVID hysteria is evidence that we have so many sheep. And especially the idea of the vaccination of children. Now, American ha Americans haven't completely buckled to that yet, but those who do are truly proving themselves to be sheep when they won't even stand up for their own children. Even allowing children to be masked in school is wrong. That's child abuse yeah. in my view. And we're letting, we're uh, a lot standing by and allowing the government at all levels to engage in child abuse when that happens. But you don't need a majority of the people uh, to be eagles. You know, you can have a revolution with a minority. Uh, the Amer original American revolution, only a third of Americans supported it. The other third were Tories and were against it. The other third were indifferent. Uh, and in this modern high-tech age, you can have a revolution with far less than a third of the population. We have already witnessed that because we've had a, a, a revolution of tyranny. This totalitarian system that's being imposed upon us is not by a majority of the American people. It's coming from a tiny minority, you know, uh, of the political ruling class and the high-tech oligarchies. You know, maybe uh, if you put all those people together, they're probably 5% of the population, you know, the uh, at most. Uh, but I think they'll fail because if we have enough eagles left, because uh, I take hope when I look at what happened to the Soviet Union. You know, it was the greatest totalitarian system, the greatest tyranny that ever existed in history. The leaders of the Soviet Union were geniuses of oppression. Uh, they had perverted science uh, in such a way and had enormously powerful instruments like the KGB and the MVD. Uh, uh, in East Germany, you know, one in five of the citizens was actually a spy, spying on his neighbors, on the payroll. You know, it was an wow. almost unthinkably powerful pyramid of, of, of tyranny. Uh, and these guys were masters at it. They had perfected tyranny to a science. And yet, and yet uh, that tower fell in 18 months uh, when, when people lost faith in communism. You know, because what the tyrants didn't understand, and they were brilliant tyrants, they weren't stupid people like the tyrants that are lording it over us right now, who are really stupid, incompetent people. Uh, uh, what they didn't understand is that the first paragraph of our Declaration of Independence is true, uh, you know, and that governments exist by the consent of the governed. A nation exists yeah. in the imagination of the people. It doesn't exist because of the IRS or the Army or the FBI and the CIA. The Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and Biden think they're on top of a pyramid of power because they control those levers of power, you know. But if they lose legitimacy and the people or enough of the people, a substantial minority, say everybody who voted for Trump, you know, thinks the government is not legitimate anymore, uh, then, the, then it ceases to exist as a nation. All you, the, uh, the main thing that keeps a nation orderly and in control and on a path, uh, a, a constructive pathway is the willful obedience of people to the law because they believe in the nation, because they think it's legitimate, because they want to contribute to it. 
when people see it as an instrument of oppression and not legitimate and antithetical to their interests, that which makes up 90% to maybe 99% of what makes a nation work is gone. You won't be able to do it with the FBI and the CIA. Uh, uh, the people will be able to have a second American revolution peacefully just by saying no. No, I'm not giving up my guns. No, you're not going to put masks on my kids anymore. No, I'm not sending my kid to public school to be brainwashed in critical race theory. I'm keeping them home to do homeschooling. The hell with you, you know? And uh, when that happens, they've lost power, uh, you know? And that, that can happen in this country. And I'm not going to say it will be entirely bloodless. It wasn't, but it's amazing how little bloodshed was was shed when the Warsaw Pact and the Soviet Union fell. It happened with remarkably little bloodshed. Huh. Maybe it could be entirely bloodless. Yeah, perhaps. Uh, uh, but I suspect there's going to be a desperate last-ditch effort to throw Americans in jail for, let's say, not paying their income taxes. That's another thing we can say. Do No, we're not going to pay our taxes. Not when you're not obeying the law yourself. I want free and fair elections. I want you to prove to me that you're a legitimate government, damn it. I want an investigation of the 2020 elections. I, I, want, I want these elections to be ironclad and to go back to the old ways, a single election day. None of this ballot harvesting crap, you know? Uh, uh, I think that uh, uh, they'll try, probably, some last-ditch desperate thing you know, sending the IRS after people to throw them in jail, but they can't put millions of Americans in jail. And the doom for them would be, I think, if they try, if they tried to get the military to fire on the people, uh, that will be their Ceausescu moment, you know, because I don't think they're going to be able to succeed. And they may be able to get themselves idiots like General Miley in charge of the Pentagon and have a bunch of political generals that'll do what they, what they want them to do. But I think the average American soldier, you know, is, is going to be our, our bastion against tyranny and that you're not going to be able to get those guys to fire on their parents and their grandparents to fire on their fellow Americans. I think it happened in the Soviet Union, which is uh, far, didn't even have a, a history of democracy. You know, when, they, when, the, uh, when the Communist Party tried to get the tanks to fire on Yeltsin supporters, mm -hmm. they wouldn't do it. Yeltsin got up on the tank and the, and the, and the, uh, and the boys running in the armored division switched sides and the Soviet Union was over. You know, uh, if Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and, 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 and Joe Biden think that they're going to get the Marines, you know, to kill Americans so that they can stay in power, I think they're sadly mistaken. Well, doctor, I know we're, I know we're running up against our time, but one of the things we wanted to make sure we asked you, obviously, um, this is all fantastic uh, uh, information, uh, a little scary, but also hopeful because to your point, I don't think you know, you have your, you have your military, which I don't believe, you know, would, I believe, I agree with you that they wouldn't fire on their own. Um, we also have police sheriffs, you have constitutional sheriffs, you have other, mm -hmm. other law enforcement officers that are where, where their allegiance and their, their loyalty is to the America, the constitutional Republic that we're supposed to be. Um, what now, one of the things we wanted to ask you before we, we parted ways tonight was, Obviously, with an, uh, an EMP situation, we would have, it uh, sounds like that would be a very, very poor outcome for us. And I know that's a huge threat. 
how how long would power have to be out before it became a very big big problem? I mean, even anarchy, you know, beginning in, in various areas of the country. How long would it take for that to occur? Well, it doesn't take long. There's an EMP commission study uh, that that looks at uh, storms, uh, storm-induced power outages, mm -hmm. as an example. Uh, and you can look at, for example, hurricanes like Hurricane Katrina. I mean, consistently across the board, social cohesion starts falling apart about 72 hours after the lights go out. Uh, uh, one rule, another rule of thumb is when a person misses their third meal, you know, usually that's when social cohesion starts breaking down. Mm -hmm. You know, this civilization we've built. Uh, uh, is extremely fragile. Uh, the thing, the rules that hold us together, um, you know, we're so used to having water come out of a tap, being able to get three yeah. meals a day, uh, you know, uh, not freezing to death in the winter. Uh, uh, it, it doesn't take long for social cohesion to start falling apart. Uh, it got so bad in 72 hours in Hurricane Katrina after the lights went out that the, the worst elements of society come out of their holes and the police end up having firefights in the streets with people that are trying to kill the police and firefighters just for the hell of it, just because they can do it. Uh, unfortunately, we seem to have a lot of people like that yeah. in, our, uh, in our society. Uh, and not all of them are crazy. You know, a lot of them are doing it for ideological reasons. You know, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, Antifa, uh, BLM, these Marxist-Leninist movements, or, uh, or jihadist cells, you know, like the, the radical Islamists, uh, you know, but uh, these guys can light the fire and, uh, and it can burn down whole cities, as we saw over the summer. Mm -hmm. And Well, well I, I wanted to say something else, though. Yeah, and yeah. Sure. You were saying about the police, mm -hmm. because, you know, I live here in Virginia. And, uh, and, and, and so we had a firsthand experience with that. Because when Governor Northrum, the, the, who, who used to be our governor, thank God he's out and Yunkin is in now. Mm -hmm. But uh, when Governor Northrum was talking about passing laws to, uh, to ban so-called assault rifles, all right? Uh, uh, all, of the, all of the sheriffs in all of the counties of Virginia put the governor on notice that they would not enforce any law that violated the Second Amendment rights of the Americans to keep and bear arms. And yet it was surprising how quickly all talk in, in Virginia and in Richmond from the governor's office and from the state legislature about banning arms and seizing people, all of a sudden that, that went away. You know, uh, they were dumb as they are. They were smart enough to know that they didn't want to be put in a situation where they were going to end up having to confront sheriffs who understood the Constitution and weren't going to enforce it. No, they were going to uh, end up generating a crisis of their own. So I, I agree with you that you know we have a lot of people on our on our side. Not all of the government is, uh, of course, corrupt. It's the police and the firefighters, you know, the, the 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 troops in our military. You know, most everything works works fine and, and is 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 good. Uh, you know, the problem is, is the very top of the pyramid, 
where we have this corrupt aristocracy, irresponsible, uh, that is, uh, uh, all I can think of is, you know, we're on our Nero and Caligula uh, moment here, mm-hmm. you know, where, we've, uh, where, we, where, where we have leadership that is really gone mad. Uh, you know, uh, it's so out of touch with reality. You know, people believe in things that aren't even real, like climate change, like catastrophic climate change that's mm-hmm. going to kill us all in 12 years. That people think that these people think that p- public policy should not be based on the fact of two biological sexes, but 72 different genders. Uh, you know, uh, this is uh, uh, this is insane as anything that Caligula or Nero ever believed. What do you, from your perspective, what should every American do to prepare for? I mean, you mentioned you know, a lot of things. I mean, there's a lot of threats. EMP is one of them, but there's so many other things right now that are threatening the American way of life. And it seems like it seems like a very well orchestrated plan and or combination of that and pure incompetence and stupidity, to your point. Um, what should every American do right now? What, what, what would you suggest to people that they start to rationalize and prepare for? I think we should try to be more like my parents' generation, the great generation, maybe your grandparents' generation. Mm-hmm. Yep. They had never heard of EMP, but they had, uh, but they didn't trust the government. You know, no. uh, they had seen government fail in peace during the Great Depression and war in World War II. Uh, you know, the fact that the war happened. Uh, that great generation, by the way, I mean, I know we're taught in school that uh, Franklin Roosevelt won World War II and General Patton won World War II. Well, they certainly played a role in it. Mm-hmm. But World War II was really won by my father and my uncle and, uh, and by the guys on the ground who actually did the fighting. You know, we sent both them- our, Both of battle. our grandfathers. Yeah, we sent them into battle like in Sherman's against Tiger tanks, okay? That were like Martian war machines compared to the, you know, the rate ratios were, you know, a tiger would take out five Shermans before we could get, uh, take out a, uh, the uh, bad guys had better guns, you know, they had better, their generals, their, their officers were usually better. It was the, so our troops came back from World War II full of confidence because they had beaten the Japanese and the Nazis at their own game on the battlefields. And they knew they're the ones that, be, uh, that, that beat them. And they still didn't trust government after World War II. There was a pride people took in being able to take care of their own families. Uh, and again, they had never heard of EMP, but they had lived through the Great Depression, they'd lived through World War II. And, uh, uh, and they, were, they were ready for anything. Uh, you know, my, we lived on a quarter acre. Uh, my mother had a garden. Uh, we grew, uh, grew as much of, as our own, of our own food as we could. My father taught us to hunt and fish, not just for recreation, but that's how he fed, fed his family through the Great Depression, just in case something like that happened again. You know, um, we had, uh, uh, they were nurses, but we had a medicine kit. We took care of our own medical problems as much as we could without going to a hospital or to see a doctor to save money. Even though doctors, you know, back in those days, you could pay a doctor, uh, you know, out of your wallet, <laughs> you know. Make uh, it right your house in many cases. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, uh, so I, th- I think people uh, should, uh, they were the last generation, I think, that were, uh, that were what the constitutional republic was designed for. Our constitutional republic was designed for the founders for a particular kind of American, one who 
valued his freedom so much uh, that he was constantly engaged in the political process, one who was suspicious of government at all levels, one who understood in his guts that you, he wanted to be able to be as free and independent as possible himself, because everything he depend, everything he took from government, to that extent, he was unfree. He was less free. And, uh, and they favored liberty above all. They never wanted to be beholden to government, to beholden to anybody, including their own neighbors. And there was a pride in being able to take care of your own family. So be like that great generation. You know, stockpile food. Uh, spot, stockpile water, maybe have a swimming pool, okay? It doesn't have to be an expensive in-ground pool. You can get a, a really cheap pool from Walmart that you can double as a something for recreation for the kids, but it'll give you an emergency water supply. Yeah. Have an emergency generator that can at least run that swimming pool. Uh, ideally, one that can at least keep running water in your house, you know? So you can flush toilets and, uh, and, and have running water in your house. Have a medicine kit and know how to use it. Think about where you live. Do you live in a large metropolitan area where things are likely to, to go to hell in a handcart in a protracted blackout? And uh, you're going to be put in a situation where you're fighting for your life. Better to be in the country someplace. If you can't afford to live in the country, then do you have a relative or friends in the country? Get together with them and have a plan. You know, think about you know, what do you do if the lights go out and you get into one of these catastrophic situations? You know, how do I get to this place where maybe I can make a deal with my friends who have a, a farm in the country that we're going to stockpile that and set that up as a safe haven for all of us? You know, and how do I get there? And what are we going to do once we're there to deal with an uncertain future, to hunker down and be able to, to live in a world where the lights have gone out and the electricity isn't coming back? You know. Uh, so those are the things people should do and think about a lot of people and don't, and this is most important. Don't go turtle too many preppers and survivalists want to disengage from the political process and give up on the political process and, and decide, well, I'm just going to protect myself and my family and the hell with the rest of society. You know, that government is supposed to work for you. It doesn't cost that much to be an agitator to send an email, to write a letter, to, to, to contact your state representative and say, I want to get my state protected. You can get your state protected, you know. Buy my book, Blackout Wars, and send a copy to your governor or to your state legislature. Mm -hmm. I've got an executive order. It's a one and a half page executive order in that book. All the guy has to do is sign the name of his state and, and pass that executive order, and he can get the electric grid protected. Maybe you, by doing that, can save not only yourself, but your whole state. You know, I don't have much hope at the federal level at this point because of the Biden administration is so greatly, grossly incompetent. But we do have a lot of smart state governors who are concerned about this. As, as you know, I mean, we were just out in Utah. Yep. The legislation is being passed. There's also a bill, a blank bill in that book, two pages long. If they just put the name of the state in that bill and pass that bill, you're on the way to protecting your state. You can be a hero and save millions of lives yourself by being engaged in the political process. Uh, you know, I had the experience uh, in the state of Maine, uh, State Representative Andrea Boland. She was a Democrat, okay? But she had read my book and believed in trying to get the EMP uh, protected in, state, uh, in the state of Maine. 
we went to the state of Maine, uh, and it took us six months to get a bill passed the Maine state legislature and signed into law by the governor. Uh, you know, just six months with one determined individual leading the charge in the state of Maine. It just takes one determined individual to make a difference like that. Now, unfortunately, you know, the electric power lobby, NERC, came in and stopped the progress we were making in Maine. But we came very close to getting that state protected. And, uh, and if you're persistent, you know, I believe that even these lobbyists can be overcome eventually and that we can get the states protected. Uh, you know, if we get a strong governor behind a bill, uh, you know, that they're going to say, the hell with you. You know, we're going to the people come first. I'm going to protect my state. So you should prepare. You should become a rugged individualist and self-sufficient. Uh, but being an eagle, being a true American, the kind of American that our founders expected to run this country, means being politically active and engaged in that process and not giving up. Follow Churchill's admonition. Never, never, never give up. You know, keep fighting. They're, they're supposed to work for you. Think of all the resources that state and federal governments have. Those resources should be directed in your direction. It's going to cost you one half of 1%, you know, to be involved politically versus what you're going to end up having to spend the time and money that you spend on getting ready as a prepper or survivalist. So it just is not rational to disengage from the political process and be only a prepper or survivalist. Thank you for those words of wisdom. Where can people find uh, your books? What's the best place for them to go to get the, the books that you've written? Oh, uh, you can just Google my name, you know, Dr. Okay. Peter Pry. Uh, you know, Blackout Wars is, is the one I refer to. I've got a new yeah. book called Blackout Warfare, you know, and, uh, you know, all my books should come up. Well, anyway, the, all the books that I've written recently, there are other books that I've, I've written. They're probably not all online. But the ones that we've been talking about are all there. Perfect. So we will find that and put the link in the description. Um, with that said, uh, Dr. Pry, thank you for coming on. This has been great. Well, thank you so much for having me. And remember this, it might still be true, and I hope it is true. Uh, the late great German statesman Otto von Bismarck said that God looks after fools, drunkards, little children, and the United States of America. For <laughs> most of our history, let's hope it's still true. Well, with that said, uh, Dr. Pry, God bless you, sir. Um, God bless you that have tuned in tonight to listen to uh, uh, everything that Dr. Pry went through, which is very informative, and we appreciate it. And uh, as always, God bless America. Um, until next time, be safe and well, and have a great evening. Thank you.